Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we have been looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount this summer, and we're going to pick up uh, this morning right where we left off last week. So I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 7, verses 12 through 20. It's printed in your order of worship, so you can follow along there or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read Jesus' words from Matthew 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you uh, for this word that we've just read and heard together. And we ask now what we always ask, and that is that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet every one of us who is sitting here this morning uh, in precisely the places where we are. And you can do that. You can meet each of us in all of the different places we find ourselves from all of the different days and weeks and mornings and even years that we have come from. Father, meet those of us who are ready to hear from you and we feel really close to you. And meet those of us who feel really far away from you and like you're distant. Meet those of us who have faith this morning, those of us who don't have faith this morning, those of us here this morning who are not even sure what that means. Meet those of us who are bored and distracted, not certain why we're here. Father, meet every one of us, and as we just sang in those really ancient words, give our jaded senses light through this word. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So, <clears throat> thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount this last week made me think uh, about Bob Ross. Um, I hope that at least some of you uh, know who Bob Ross was. I've heard he's had a bit of a renaissance lately. In fact, this last week, Larissa told me that Bob Ross transcends time. I mean, I, I think that's a category error, but he's great. You know, he's great. He was a painter. Uh, and from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, he had this show on PBS called The Joy of Painting. I don't think that uh, I ever sought that show out. I don't think I ever looked in the listings to find when The Joy of Painting was going to be on so that I could watch it. But if I was clicking through the channels uh, and Bob Ross was on, I always found it uh, impossible to turn away. The Joy of Painting was an instructional show, and on every episode, this is all he did. He would just paint a picture, and while he was painting it, he could talk about, he would talk about how you too could paint like this. Uh, 
he was so incredibly laid back. And he had this mellow, baritone voice, and he was always really happy. Uh, it was utterly, utterly compelling television. And he would start with this blank canvas, and at the end of the show, there would be a landscape painting. Now, I don't know if they were any good or not, but to me, they looked fantastic. For me, who isn't able to create like that, it was like watching a wizard cast spells for a half hour. But I have to say that there were lots of times where I would see him paint something early in the process. Like he would paint a really dark line across the whole canvas. Or he would paint a series of weird pyramids in the sky or something like that. And in all of my teenage wisdom, I, I would look at him do one of those things early in the process and i think, well, Bob, you really messed this one up, <laughs> you know? It would just look so bad. It would look like something I would do if I was painting. And, you know, Bob Ross definitely made mistakes, and when he would, he would acknowledge it. One of his most famous lines when he would paint something that was less than perfect is he would look into the camera and he said, do you ever make mistakes in life? Let's make them birds. Yeah, they're birds now. <laughs> and he would just paint his mistakes into birds. It was amazing. But most of the time, he wasn't making mistakes when I thought that he was making mistakes. He was laying out the necessary foundation for something beautiful. He would smudge that dark line into a mountain range or something. He would, he would somehow turn those weird sky pyramids into clouds or trees. It was beautiful. When he was doing what I thought was making mistakes, he was really starting something that he was going to return to later to complete and perfect. And that is the connection to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You all talked about it at the very end of June. Uh, after the prologue to Jesus' teaching, he said something about himself. You might remember it. He said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was saying that the law and the prophets, which is the story of God and his world that we read in the Old Testament, that was laying the foundation for something beautiful. And Jesus wants to make it clear to us that he was not coming to tear up that story. He was not coming even to rewrite or revise it. He was coming to finish it, to make it beautiful to complete it into that beautiful story that it was meant to be all along. And so now, here at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes back to that same idea in verse 12. And it's not a coincidence. Jesus is closing the loop on this part of the sermon. He says, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets those things that I came to perfect, that story that I came to make beautiful, this long story of God and his world that was first told to us through the law and prophets. Now what Jesus is doing is he is showing us our place in that story. When we're united to him by faith, we become the people that God has made us to be for the good 
of the world. In Jesus, people like us become people who love creatively. We become people who love with imagination. And that is good news. And I want us to see how it's true so that we can live into that truth. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever it is that you imagine that you would need, that you would want, do that to other people. Sometimes it gets called uh, the golden rule. Sometimes it's known by its nerdier name, the ethic of reciprocity. Uh, I'm not sure that either of those names really capture the essence of what Jesus is really saying here. That's why we're talking about it. And Jesus, of course, was not the first teacher to ever say something like this. We heard in our New Testament lesson a quotation of the Old Testament that sounds very similar to what Jesus says here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's very similar. But most ethical teachers in antiquity who said something like what Jesus says here would say it instead of the way he said it in the negative. They would say, don't do to other people what you don't like being done to you. Hillel, the the rabbi who lived shortly before Jesus, said it like this. That which is hateful to you Don't do to your fellow man. If you hate it when people do that stuff to you, don't do it. Stated that way, of course, it's a prohibitive. It is a call to restrict your action. It is a call not to act. But Jesus inverts it. And he opens it wide by stating it positively. Whatever you wish other people would do to you, do that to them. That is expansive. That is active. Here's what Martin Luther said about it. Martin Luther said, it was certainly clever of Christ to put it that way. (laughs) You are your own Bible, your own teacher, your own preacher now. And what I think Luther meant by that is to say that on the everyday, red-blooded street level, you do not need to be an expert to figure out how to love the people who are around you. But it does require action and doing and imagination and creativity. It means that people like you and me need to be inquisitive. It is not enough for me to say, I'm not going to do hurtful, hateful things to my neighbor. I mean... Just for the record, that's great. (laughs) That is a really good place to start. And for people who follow Jesus, we should definitely be abiding by that. Don't do hateful things to other people. But Jesus' teaching here, it requires more. It is calling out more in us. It requires us to ask questions of ourselves. It requires me to ask questions of myself. What if I were my neighbor in her particular place, with her particular struggles and difficulties? What if I were her? What would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? And once I've answered that best, that question as best as I can, then I do it as best as I can. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. 
What if I were a refugee? Far from home. Trying to feel some sense of home in this really strange place. What would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? If I were a single mom running hard all day, every day to keep those plates spinning, falling into bed every night, completely exhausted, what would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? What if, what if I was just a regular, everyday American kid, anxious, Anxious about my grades, anxious about my body, anxious about where I fit into the social order in my school. What would I need someone to do for me? What would I want someone to do for me? What if I was the one whose close friend died? What if I was the one who usually looked different in lots of the groups I find myself in? What if I was the guy who just lost his job? What if I was the person who felt deeply alone? What if I was the person nursing regrets that I thought I could never shake? What would I need someone to do for me? What would I want someone to do for me? I know, church, I know that we don't know the answers to all of those questions. I sure don't know the answers to all of those questions. We know some of them. And the others we can figure out by simply asking that person that we're thinking about. By diving more deeply into the lives of the people around us. And church, this is who we have been called to be for the good and life of the world. As Jesus said at the beginning of this sermon, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So here is a challenge for all of us this week, starting with the preacher. Actively consider someone in your life. And I don't mean like a category of people or an issue. I mean a real red-blooded human being that you know. Consider that person in your life. Put yourself in her shoes. Put yourself in his shoes. And ask what you would need if you were right there in those shoes. Talk to that person. Ask God for wisdom if you need to. And then when you know, act for their good. When people like us do this, we are sharing the gracious life of God with the world. We are sharing the life of God with the world. I mean, that's how this works. We were the ones who needed rescue. We were the ones who needed forgiveness. We were the ones who needed healing. We were the ones who needed restoration. And God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit see this and they act through Jesus for our good in his life and death and resurrection and ascension. 
And that means that his love for us is not only the rescue that we needed, it is, as St. Paul says, also the energy that works powerfully within us to love as we have been called to love. Church, (laughs) we have everything that we need to love. More than enough to love. And I think that's another reason why Jesus' teaching here rings so very differently from other teachers who have said similar things. It's because for Jesus, this ethical teaching is grounded. It is rooted in the love of God and in the story of God and his world. That's why he says, whatever you wish other people would do to you, do also to them. Because this is the the law and the prophets. This is everything. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. It's the completing, it's the perfecting in and through Jesus of the story of God and his people. It's about you and I becoming the people that we were created to be, fully alive, fully human. And church, the story of God and his people has always been, always been about his gracious deliverance. (laughs) It has never been about, hey, try harder. It has never, ever been about, hey, meet God halfway and maybe he will take notice. It has never been about put in some more effort, kid. The true story of the world told to us through the law and the prophets completed and made beautiful in Jesus working in me and you by faith has always been about grace. So God's grace to us in Jesus provides the energy that we need to love the people around us. And God's grace to us in Jesus also gives us the mercy we desperately need when we fail to do so. And church, that is good news. That is a way for you and me to live that brings life in this broken world. So verse 12 is the end of the proper teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I think what Jesus does in that just short sentence is sum up the essence of everything that the rest of the sermon was about. And starting in verse 13, he begins to talk about how people like us should respond to what he's taught us. It's definitely still teaching, but it's teaching about how to respond to who Jesus is. It's like Jesus is saying at this point, okay, now, who is with me? on this road. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is a series of warnings, four warnings, four signposts that people like us can use to make sure that we are on the road behind Jesus. We'll talk about two of them right now and then two of them next week. So the first signpost doesn't really stray at all from the metaphor of the way because it's literally about the way. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. These are, uh, as one commentator put it, sharp and worrying words. 
And church, we need to hear that Jesus is talking here not only about the nature of the road behind him, he is also talking about the eternal destinies to which these roads lead. And we have to hear it first as that. First, we have to hear that Jesus is saying to follow him is to walk into life. And he is making a gracious invitation with, with these words to everybody who listens to him, which includes you and me right here, right now, this morning, to follow him into life. And he is clear about the nature of that road. It is narrow and it is hard. And if we've been listening to the sermon at all, if we've been paying any attention to the Sermon on the Mount, at all. This is not a surprise to us because we know what Jesus has been saying. I mean, Jesus didn't say, hey, just don't murder people. He said, don't even think about murdering people. Don't harbor that kind of anger in your heart. It makes you less than human. (laughs) Jesus didn't just say to us, hey, don't cheat on your spouse. He said, don't even think about cheating on your spouse. If you harbor those passions inside, those appetites inside, you become less than human. Jesus didn't just tell people like us, hey, you know, do your best to not actively hate your enemies. He said, love your enemies and pray for the people that hurt you. He didn't just say, give some of your money away to the needy. He said, give your money away so forgetfully, so quietly that it's like you don't even know what you're doing. On these and all of the other things that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, he has called us to live differently. Some people might say strangely, peculiarly. And that is that striking, beautiful, visible alternative to being human in this world. It is hard and narrow. But it leads to life for the good of the world. There are... Of course, other ways to live on these issues that we've just mentioned. um, There are a wealth of moral permissions given. And frankly, that way is wide. And it's very easy. You know, take Jesus' teaching on anxiety. Pastor David walked us through that just two weeks ago. I don't know, of course, how you all respond to difficult things emerging in your life. But I can tell you about myself, it's very easy for me when really difficult things pop up in my life to walk down the wide and easy way. It looks like me starting by submitting myself to the anxious creep into my thoughts and then even into my sleep. It looks like me starting to look an awful lot like Adam and Eve in the garden, wondering if I can really trust God. And then deciding, you know what, I can't, so I need to be him. And then that looks like me becoming a frantic, panicked manager, trying to control people, trying to control things that I can't and shouldn't control. Seriously convincing myself, deluding myself into thinking that all of my worry will definitely add to the span of my life. I mean, I know it's obvious, church, but let me just say it. That is not a way that leads to life. 
It leads away from life. It's really easy, though. And it is remarkably wide. All I have to do is drift into it. All I have to do is walk with the prevailing winds of fallenness at my back. <laughs> Maybe you can relate. I hope I'm not alone. I don't think I am. And it's into that sleepiness, it's into that drift, it's into that stupor that Jesus comes with this gracious invitation that leads us out of that and into life. It is narrow and it is hard, but it leads to our good, yours and mine, and to the world's good forever. <laughs> Are we going to walk behind him? And that leads right into the next signpost. Essentially, what Jesus is saying with this one is, do not believe anyone who tells you otherwise. It makes me think of that famous line from The Princess Bride, anyone who tells you differently is selling something. Or as Jesus puts it, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, are ravenous wolves. I don't guess it's any secret at all that the church universal has been ravaged by charlatans and fakers and frauds from the very beginning. People who want money or sex or power or influence and they, they slip into the sheep's clothes and they tear people up. And maybe there are some of you here this morning who have been taken advantage of by people like that. Maybe even abused by someone like that. And if that's you, I am very sorry that that happened. You did not ask for that abuse. You did not cause that abuse. That abuse was not your fault. And I pray that you will find this place, this church, a safe place, free from that kind of fear. I pray that you will find it, a place by God's grace of healing. Sometimes, Jesus says, sometimes you can spot those wolves from a mile away, but other times you can't, and that's why Jesus gives us the test. He says, you will recognize the ravenous wolves by their fruits. Is there life hanging off of the vines? Is there beauty hanging in the branches? I mean, Jesus is not expecting leaders and teachers in his church to be perfect, but do they show humility do they show the vulnerability to admit when they are wrong? Do they practice repentance? Do they lead other people into the practice of life-giving repentance? Do they point people to Jesus and to his way of life? Church Jesus has called us and he has given us everything that we need to follow him into life and to love as we have been created to love. And his teaching here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is a reminder of the active 
imaginative, creative kind of love that he calls us to. And this part of the sermon is a warning to avoid all of the lesser, cheaper invitations that would lead us away from life and away from the good and away from the flourishing that he has made us for. May God give us ears to hear him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't just like from a distance somewhere drop down this thing that says, hey, whatever you wish other people would do to you, do to them. You have not only said that to us, you have embodied it in the person of your son for our good. For our good forever, for the life of the world forever. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us to be a people who believe that that is true and who live into that belief through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, do that for our good. Do that for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.